Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Grab your Bibles and uh, please turn to Psalm 42. Thank you, worship team. Uh, what a great day of singing. We're going to be in Psalm 42 today for a time and worship in God's Word. And uh, obviously that means we're taking a little step out of our study through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Pastor Doug, why? Uh, good question. Uh, three reasons actually for it. Uh, one is really coming into last Sunday's uh, time in God's Word when we were in Matthew and talking about serious about faith and serious about humility, serious about sin and serious about um, forgiveness. I just left that thinking, I would love to spend a little bit more time putting some flesh to what does it mean to be serious about? What does it really look like? We might know that we need to be, know that that's a desire of what we want to have happen, but what does it really look like? So that's one of the reasons. The other reason is, is it's the Sunday before Easter. Uh, Easter's next Sunday, and uh, we're going to be gathering Saturday evening and, and on Sunday, and a part of it for me is, honestly, I want to be ready for Easter, and I just am not feeling like I'm ready yet. And so as someone leading kind of in this seat, I just wanted to step out of where we were at and get us ready and thirsty for Easter. Because Easter is not just a regular Sunday, it is another wonderful Sunday. And uh, I want us to be thirsty for that. And third, I'll just say, I just personally needed to uh, have this time in Psalm 42, uh, as most of you probably know, it was last Sunday morning at 6.30, I received a call that my oldest brother had passed away in the night and um, was not expecting that, and I just needed to have somewhere to go and spend my time digging in with the Lord this week and just being refreshed in Him, and so it was so cool to be able to see God work this text in my own life, and I'll also say it was I, had no, I would, did not participate as a upfront in the funeral of my brother, but uh, when we came in, and so I didn't know the order of anything, we came in, and the text that we're going to, everybody reading a piece of paper on our seats was Psalm 42. I had no idea. I mean, of 929 chapters in the Bible, what's the <laughs> odds of that? But, uh, so I'm just going to say, I think the Lord is in this uh, today. Now, if you were to take a glance at the text we're not going to be covering today in Matthew, kind of in chapter 19 and into 20, um, one of the things about it is you could think, uh, oh, this works out conveniently for you. You get to pass over the gospel text on marriage and divorce. Um, and, uh, it's kind of interesting how in 2014, when we first moved into the building, that Christmas we were going through the gospel of Mark, and it was couple Sundays before, the Sunday before Christmas, it was the same text, but also in Mark, and I was just like, this isn't the right text to be preaching on right before Christmas, and so I passed over that account at that time, and uh, that's not who I am, just to pass over text, and I just want to be straight and transparent with you on the table, we're not bypassing that, in fact, I'll give you the sermon outline for that, uh, that was going to be for today, and it's basically this, the Lord is serious about marriage. 
And secondly, the Lord is serious about the kingdom of heaven. That's the main text, the main two things that Jesus talks about. The Lord is serious about marriage. The Lord is serious about the kingdom of heaven. And kind of my statement for the marriage thing is this. A marriage is a relationship of covenant, not a relationship of convenience. I think we've uh, moved into viewing marriage as a relationship of convenience. Uh, but marriage is a relationship of covenant. So I appreciate your understanding as um, I made the decision here for this week. And I can just tell you, in light of my brother's passing, this has been uh, perfectly fitting. I'm grateful for your grace on that today. So today, Psalm 42. A little background on the psalm as you look at it. I trust you have it open on your lap. Uh, psalm 42 and Psalm 43 were likely at one point actually one psalm together. Uh, but somewhere along the line, they got broken out into two psalms, and that's okay. We're going to be covering just Psalm 42. The only reason I tell you that is I want to encourage you this week to go and dig into Psalm 43. What we're going to be talking about continues. It just moves on, and it's really cool how the two work together and actually accentuate, uh, build on each other. So it used to be one psalm, it's two. We're just going to be doing Psalm 42 today. If you look at the top of the psalm, most likely I have an English Standard Version Bible, there's a statement that says, uh, to the choir master, a, a masculine of the sons of Korah. Uh, what, who are the sons of Korah? Well, let me tell you a little bit about Korah here because I think there's a cool thing to know going into the psalm. Korah was the son of Kohath. And Kohath, his father, was killed for rebelling against the Lord in number 16. But uh, Korah, uh, the son of Kohath, hanging in there, uh, he was exempt from that judgment. And out of that became actually a worship leader, if you will, a musician in the temple, uh, in the tabernacle of the Lord. And so uh, here, uh, Korah, his sons now, who are noted in this psalm, are continuing that. His sons continue the movement of his dad uh, as worship leaders of God's people who had a grandfather who actually uh, was judged for rebelling against God. And there's a hopeful thing in that, friends. I don't know what your family history is, but maybe in your family history, you have a dad or a grandparent or parents who have not loved the Lord, have been rebellious to the Lord, and know this, that does not make you in the position where you can't know and love the Lord. By God's grace, God can turn families around and point them toward him. In fact, here we even have sons, grandsons, of one who rebelled against God are leading God's people in the, in the singing of God's goodness. I think that's just so cool and something to know at the beginning. Now, in that, I don't think the sons of Korah were the ones who wrote the psalm. It's most likely uh, two possibilities. Some say it was written by David during the time of Absalom, his son, when his son went upside down on him and just went in some bad ways. David had to leave Jerusalem because of his son and just some horrific situations. And you read through it and you can see why that could be the case. I actually, because of some of the geography that I'm not even going to get into today, I don't think that's maybe more like it is a Levite. In other words, a worship leader at the time who was out, cast out at the time and with Gentiles in it and he is bringing it. And frankly, if it wasn't either of them, that's okay because I love the fact that there's no name on it because it makes it universal. Okay, whether it's David or whether it's a Levite worship leader, I'm telling you, you are going to read, read this psalm as we go through it, and you are going to go, 
that's where I'm at. I've experienced that. I get that, and I want that. So this is what I love about this psalm. So let's dive in. Uh, My desire, my prayer is that the Lord would just speak to us through it and prepare us for Easter, that we would be thirsty for Easter. So here we go. Let's begin with the soul that thirsts, verses 1 and 2. The soul that thirsts. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. And here's a great Easter statement. For the living God. And then there's a question that I think continues the concept. When shall I come and appear before God? Let's work on this. First, it begins out as a deer pants. That's really interesting because I would think if you're in the Middle East, you would grab the the animal that would be uh, most known to you and most uh, familiar to your setting, and that would be a camel. But it's not a camel. Uh, That would be the animal that uh, people, the psalmist, are probably more familiar with than deer. But I think he uses a camel on purpose here. Why? Let's think about this. A camel can go and lap up water, take in water, shove it in its back. I don't know however the thing works. And take in a whole bunch of water, and it doesn't have to go back to water for a long time. Camels don't need to go back to the water again and again. They're known for actually not drinking very often. So why would the psalmist use a deer? Because I think a deer is more like himself and like you and me. We need to drink often. And here is a deer living in a desert territory, and a deer has to go back regularly, routinely, routinely and frequently go back and put their faces down in the water and I don't know how that translated through the sound system, but uh, that's what they do, right? And look at this. It's a deer, and it's a deer that pants for. Now, it's not just a deer on a regular drink. This is a unique drinking situation. This is where you clearly get the idea that he is not looking just for another drink. She is not looking for just another drink. This is, I think the word is, this is the deer that's at a point of desperateness for water. They are desperate for it. In fact, they might not be able to continue on if he or she doesn't go and drink of water. And notice in this, uh, this deer is not desperate for stale water, not desperate for stagnant water. Look at the text. But is, but is desperate for flowing streams of water. If I can say it, Colorado flushing down through the rivers, cool, clear, cold water. That kind of water. Not where you got to go and get the muck and go, it's like, I got no other choice. This is like he is thirsting and panting for clear, flowing, life-giving streams of water. And notice this, the kind of flowing stream that none other than for you, oh God. Like that. Thirsting for God like that. With a panting. 
Don't give me some spiritual upper for the moment. Don't give me some kind of perception thing for a moment. Don't just feed me something light duty that tantalizes my mind. Give me living, awesome God water. Williams notes that in the Psalms, when the psalmists talk about the soul, they're talking about their very self. It's really important because I think sometimes in our thinking, we can think, you know, there's our self and then our soul. No, no, that's not what it's talking about. This is talking about the one and the same entity, the very self. It's not something separate from himself. It's not something secondarily attached. It is him. It is her. It is the you. Who you are is a whole being panting for you, oh God. Not panting for some spiritual experience. Not panting for a moment. But panting for God. That is different, friends. A lot of people want a filler up. God is wanting you to want Him. And who He is. My soul thirsts for God, and then I love it, the living God, not some fake God, not some dead God, not some idea God, the living God. And then there's this question, when shall I come and appear, appear before you? I actually don't think this is like a, I'm afraid of, this is a wanting to. This carries this idea, I think, especially if you understand it. If it was David or a Levite uh, who was involved in the worship, this is the thing that they love. They love the gathering together of people. We're going to see that in the text in a little bit. This is part of who they are. I'm just going to tell you, I so get that. Just in light of my role, I just... Even as Karen and I were talking this week, part of it was just last Sunday at 6.30 in the morning when we learned about my brother's situation. It was like, there's this thing, I want to be with you. I think there's this aspect here of, of the writer of the psalm as well. There's something powerful, there's something awesome, there's something amazing about the community of God's people. By the way, the use of the term God throughout Psalm 42, every use but one will come to in verse 8. Every use of God is Elohim. The name of God that carries this idea of might and strength. He is the might and strength God. Those of you who know me, I can put it this way. He is the gladiator God. Might and strength. And so, as he's going through this, we see, So my soul pants for you, O strong and mighty God. My soul thirsts for you, Elohim, for the living gladiator God. Is that not cool? None of this wimpy God. None of this tooth fairy God. Out with that. Bring me gladiator God. Pant for that. Thirsty. 
When shall I come and appear before God? How does someone develop that? I read that and and I want that. I think we read these first two verses and we look at it and we go, I want that, right? I want that to be the yearning of my soul, of my entire being. I want that. And I think that's a really good question to ask. And here's my answer to that. Verses 3 through 10 answers it. Because the soul that thirsts is the soul that wrestles. The soul that thirsts is the soul that wrestles. And just forewarning, I think it's very raw and real. And I love that about it because I think we're going to see you and me in it. The soul that wrestles. How do you become a verse one and two person? Well, let's begin with verse three. My tears have been my food day and night. That's a lot. While they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Let's just pause there. Two things we're being told already the psalmist has been experiencing. One is this overwhelming, incessant sense of discouragement. Tears. Tears day and night. In fact, he, kind of in a, a psalmic kind of a way, he, he pictures it almost like a parable where it's like, in fact, so many tears, that's all I eat are my tears. My sustenance is my tears. It's that hard and heavy. You know how it is when life gets really hard. You don't want to eat. And here it is in it where he's like, my tears have been my food day and night. By the way, also along with that, that's not the only thing. He has this statement in there. He's telling where those around him, whether it was Absalom's men or whether it was Gentiles, knowing that the Levite was a follower of Yahweh, in it, they mock him. Hey, loser, where is your God? By the way, that's the world we live in. They think the people who believe that there is a God and that there is even a living God that is involved in the world, oftentimes it is so mad at him for how in the world could he cause this. I understand the argument and I love the questioning of it, but I'm telling you in this, it gets to the point where it's mockery and just look at the news more and more. People who love God, who love Yahweh, the God of the scriptures, are being disliked more and more. Have you noticed that? It's becoming an increasing desert even in our country. And last Sunday I brought up the statement of it's kingdom of heaven living in a, in a kingdom of earth setting. And that's why like a deer in a desert it's becoming more and more the reality of our existence. We're, we're mocked. Where is your God? Verse 4, in it, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. 
This is one of the reasons I think this is likely a Levite who, this is what they did. This was their job. This is, is that role. They, they would lead the people together, and it wasn't just a job, but they loved doing this. And now in a situation where he's not able to do that anymore, and he's remembering back to the times where it was like being a part of the coming together of God's people with song and shouts and praise, and, and it's like, and, and now he's all alone, and he misses that. One of the things that is really important to do in times of desperation is to remember. Including remembering what, not only who God is and what God has done, but God's people. And that's why this is so important. We don't go to church just for our lonesome selves. We participate in a family. God's people coming together as a group of people, not just individuals coming to feed me and then it's a family of God, not just individuals of God. And it's so interesting here, when, when he, 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 he had that, he looks back at what he had, and he wishes for what he had. And oftentimes, when we have what we, what we have, we forget what we have until we're pulled away from that. And then we want what we had. We, we can't ever be pleased. But I love the fact that he's remembering. By the way, it's so interesting because what commonly happens, it does in my life, it, it does in others' life, what commonly happens when life gets hard and heavy, answer, we isolate ourselves. We go alone. Isn't that interesting? We do the very thing that we shouldn't be doing. And yet I get it. We shut down, we withdraw in, we go dormant in self protection just like trees, when the cold weather comes along and the winter winds begin moving in, there is this God-given instinct in a tree. It sounds like so Walt Disney. Instinct within a tree that it knows when the winters come and the winds start blowing and life gets hard and it's darker, it sheds its leaves. Why does it shed its leaves? It sheds its leaves so it retains all of its energy to keep itself alive. And that's so us. And in fact, the trees that we've been seeing look very dead, but they're all alive. They've shed their leaves, they've pulled in in self-protection. And that's also often what God's people do. And we pull in, and, and yet, just add along with that, here's the psalmist day and night in tears. He's being mocked for his faith, and yet in it, he is remembering the procession of God's people to the house of God with glad shouts, songs of praise like a multitude keeping a festival. Oh, I pray that for Easter. I pray that's the idea of what happens on Saturday evening if you come to our 5 p.m. service or if you come to our, one of our Sunday services, that you wouldn't just come like it's another Sunday, but you would come even uh, looking forward to the gathering together of God's people to rejoice in what God has done. Oh, that in us. Thirsty for Easter like that. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. I love this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. Have you ever done that? With your lips moving too? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? That's a great question. 
He's asking himself why. He's willing to be bold enough and honest enough to ask what's going on in me. By the way, I'm going to suggest in this that, that nowhere in the text does he give this light answer of, oh, well, it's all good. No, it's not. It's just tears upon tears upon tears. It's where it's like so many tears, that's like all he eats. He's asking why. Hey, soul, why are you so downcast? What's going on? What's the turmoil? That's a great question. I'm just going to make an observation here. Most don't go there. Most don't go there. I think we can ask, why me? And answer it as the world would answer it, and yet understandably so. It isn't fair! I get it. I get it. Why'd my brother die at 62? Why'd my dad die at 61? I told my middle brother, Dude, if you die at 63, I'm buying insurance for 64. But why? Good questions. But are we thinking about it theologically, biblically, and digging down and seeing, God, what's going on? Listen, friends, God can handle your questions. And God actually, I think, loves it when his people are willing to, if you will, wrestle their soul in it with him, to theologically and biblically dive in and ask the hard questions, figure out what's going on, because people who have dived, gone deep (laughs) with the Lord in hard life situations, those are people who look increasingly more and more like verses one and two people. Because they have come to a point even at times where I don't even have an answer in it. And I am desperate and I'm panting for you, oh God, because you have to be the answer because I can't even find any other answers. And yet God is wanting to pour out answers upon us if we'll dive in and go dig with him. We have a tendency to want to stay very surface level. Why do we do what we do? I've been asking that of myself this week. Why? Notes in the, note in the text, verse 5, middle verse 5, after his question, he makes a kind of a statement to himself. Hope in God. Hope in Elohim. Hope in strength and might God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope, hope in God. He states truth to himself. I hope in God, not in myself. Listen, friends, if you are having, putting your hope in yourself, you're in trouble. You really are in trouble. What's so wonderful is when we come to realize that we are so desperate and so hopeless in ourselves that we go and cling to one that is full hope. 
our Elohim God, the strong and mighty God. When hope is there, it's not about hope in ourselves, it's hope in that. It's hope in Him. Hope in God. By the way, He gives reasons for His hope. He is my salvation. He is my Elohim. And He responds, I shall again praise Him. I love that. It's a future idea. I shall again. And by the way, maybe it's in this life, maybe not. For my brother's sake, I don't wish him back. For my sister-in-law and his grown girls, three girls, I wish him back. But for Don, I don't. Don knew the Lord. Learned even more things about my brother that I didn't even, a couple things I didn't even know. Don was a unique guy. He served the Lord overseas for about 30 years into Russia before the wall fell, after the wall fell, when Russia was the evil empire. My brother was followed every time he went by KJB, uh, KJV agents. <laughs> that was KGB agents. Sorry, I've got my Bible versions in my head. He uh, had a little chance to experience just a tiny bit of some of that on a trip with him. and He's a neat guy. But I'm telling you, friends, he's having a great time. It's all good. And that's not a willy-nilly hope. That is a hope that is founded on what God has said and done and who he is. And the fact that my brother received Christ as his Savior and walked with him. And maybe we might not even get out of the deserts of life during this lifetime, but even the fact that there will be a time, if you know Christ, there will be a time when for eternity, I'm telling you friends, we are living a dot in the line of eternity. This is just a dot. So come hell or high water, whether it gets better now or it's better forever later. It drives us now. It gives us hope in the craziness of now. But then watch, he kind of swings back. He's swinging in and out of it. Isn't it. This is so encouraging to me. Are you like, yeah, God is awesome. And then you're like, man, life stinks. Yeah, God is awesome. Oh, man, life stinks. Aren't you that way? Come on, don't leave me. Don't leave me. Watch this. He goes back. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. I'm not going to go through that. And he's not only remembering uh, the gathering of God's people. Now he's remembering specific times when God showed himself great. Verse 7. And then he, then he kind of is down in it where it's also like deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Again, the Psalms, it's this picture of it. And by the way, I think there's even the the, the, the clear theology of the sovereignty of God even and allowing the life just to roll over him and roll over him and roll over him and he's thrashed around in it and yet he knows that God is still sovereign in it all. Deep calls to deep. And then we get to verse 8. By day, Yahweh. 
commands his steadfast love. That's important. The only time in the two chapters that Yahweh is, Yahweh is the covenant God. And look at the text. By day, the covenant God commands his steadfast love. Hey, friends, you may need to hear this. God does not love you because of how awesome you are. God loves you because of his covenant love to you and me. Because God is committed that he's promised that he will love his own. And he cannot go back on that. It's not dependent upon how you and I perform for him. It's founded on his directive on who he is that he has given his steadfast love. You are loved. You are. And if you know Christ, his love will never leave you. That doesn't mean you may not feel unloved. But you need to know he always loves you. By day, Yahweh commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. Verse 9. I say to Elohim, my rock, why have you forgotten me? He's like back down in it. Why have you forgotten? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. Verse 10. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, he's repeating himself, where is your God? Friends, like love, faith wrestles. Faith is not a feeling you feel. Love is actually not a feeling you feel. Faith and love are actions. We, we live in a world, by the way, I'm thankful for the feeling. I am thankful for the feeling, but it is not bound on the feeling. And we live in a culture where it's all about what we feel like today. I feel like this, I don't feel like this, I feel like that, I want that feeling, I want to feel a feeling that I'd like to feel, because that's the way I'd love to feel. And even when we look at verses 1 and 2 in our English nowadays, we go, I want to feel that way. That's wrong terminology. Because you don't have to feel that to be that. You don't have to feel faith to live faith. You don't have to feel love to give love. Faith exerts itself, and that's what we see the psalmist doing here. He's exercising his faith. He's preaching to himself. In fact, let me sum it this way. I think kind of four quick things are going on. I think first, faith sees. It sees. It sees the hard and heavy realities of kingdom of heaven lives in a kingdom of earth setting. It's not blind to pain or brokenness or to our broken world. I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a busted up, messed up world. Have you noticed that? And it's not going like, no, it really, it's all wonderful. Or if you're going through something hard and heavy, you know, just going, listen, every, every day is a gift from God. 
some days are torturous from God. And some days are hard and heavy. And for us getting all light about it, I don't think that's wrestling with it. I think that's just painting over it, just glossing over it. It's not going deep with God in it. God is inviting us to come and wrestle it out because people who wrestle it out with the Lord come out like people like verses 1 and 2. It sees, it sees real life. It remembers. Faith pulls up, if I could say it, that digital storage bank in modern days. It grabs the USB of who God is, what God has done, and it plugs it back in. And it runs it through. And it remembers who God is and what God has done. Maybe not even what God has done in my life. Maybe it's in others' lives. Or maybe it's just what God has done with the people of God throughout the history of Scripture. I'm telling you, that's enough to USB yourself to. It remembers. Third, it asks. It's willing to ask the bold questions, the introspective questions of, what is going on in me? Why did I do that? What is happening in me? Why am I downcast? And it's willing to go there and consider it. And fourth, it preaches. It sees, it remembers, it asks, it preaches. It preaches what? It preaches hope in Elohim. It preaches hope in the strong, mighty, living gladiator God. It preaches he, Doug, he has conquered and he will conquer. I may not be able to gather with God's people now to appear together before the Lord. I may not even feel like praising him in this. But he is Yahweh, he is the covenant God that commands his steadfast love. He gives me song even when I don't feel like singing. And life may feel right now like deadly wounds in my bones with adversaries, or maybe even the adversary in my own mind, taunting me all day long. Loser, where is your God? And yet, I, yet, we will hope. In the God that is conquered, Faith is work. The soul that hopes, verse 11, he sums it back up. Why are you downcast? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And then he restates it. Hope in God. Hope in Elohim. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Friends, you need to understand this hope is not a golly gee whiz, I sure hope it's real kind of hope. Psalm 42, as you can see, is grounded and girded in biblical truth, in the God of creation. It is a Hebrews 11 hope founded on the, on the assurance and the promises and the conviction of God and his work. It is not founded upon you or me. It isn't. 
Hope is not founded even on us trying to work ourselves into a frenzy of increased faith. That's not what's being talking about here. That's why the deer comes to the point where it has to come to the streams of living water and stick its face down in it and just take it up. Because it is the water that gives the life, not the deer. We hope in the living, risen Son of God who came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope in His work, in His work alone. Loved ones, Easter's coming. And actually, I'm guessing that you know the Easter story. And sometimes it's the familiar becomes our problem. And sometimes it's what's familiar we don't thirst for. I want to ask this week that you would prepare yourself, that we would come together this Saturday, this Sunday, as a people thirsty for God. I'm not asking you to go and to to work yourself up. I'm asking you to come and consider where you're at and just go before the Lord and and just, God, I want to wrestle with you. I want to interact with you. I want to work with you. What's going on in me? Because God, when I wrestle with you, I come out of it increasingly thirsty for So, Lord, I pray for that. I pray that you would grow in us a thirst for you. And I think uh, us asking for that carries the responsibility on our part to kind of be people who are pursuing after you, who are, who are taking life like the psalmist here and, and, and asking uh, the questions and remembering and seeing and, and God even bringing truth to mind in it. Lord, I pray this Easter we would be reminded of a very familiar story. A familiar story that is all about life. Eternal life. Life that is awesome. So God, thirsty for Easter. Easter.